I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together, right here on Outside the Walls. Well, depending on what your social media habits are, you've likely seen a new, uh, a new survey out by Pew Research Center talking about the number of Catholics who believe, or as the case may be, don't believe, in the, the doctrine of transubstantiation, uh, that Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the Eucharist. And uh, there's lots of hot takes out there, everyone from uh, your, your average blogger all the way up to Bishop Barron uh, have weighed in on this, and they've had some conversation about what they think it means uh, and what is to be done about it. And uh, this is a topic that I'm interested in because as a, as a convert, this was one of those things that was, one, difficult to grasp because it wasn't found in my, my history, my tradition at all growing up, uh, but also that has come to mean quite a bit to me. So um, I want to address this today, and, and we're going to talk about this for the whole show. We're going to be talking with Katie Prejean McGrady about her take, and specifically we're going to be talking in that regard about what are some things that we can do to strengthen the church's belief, to help the individual to grow in this understanding and this knowledge of what it is that the church teaches. Uh, but before we get there, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about one, I, well, I think, one of the key misconceptions. And I say key misconceptions really from my own experience because of the people that I've encountered uh, and their objections to this idea of transubstantiation. Uh, my, my experience is limited, but it is at the same time also somewhat broad because I, I come from a tradition, uh, in a Protestant tradition, and Protestantism in and of itself is fairly broad in the number of beliefs that people have about what communion is and why we do it. And so I've encountered all of these and, and to a certain extent really understand the places that they're coming from because I was coming from similar places myself. Uh, and so in the conversations that I've had, one of the things that is most troubling or most, uh, you know, hard, hardest to grasp about this idea of transubstantiation is the word become. What do we mean when we say that the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? Now, we tend to think in very uh, empirical ways, right? Well, we want something that we can measure and touch and test and put out, put out a hypothesis and either prove it right or wrong, because that's the culture in which we live today, right? Um, our kids grew up on Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, or, or the equivalent of the time. And so, you know, everything around us from Scooby-Doo to Star Trek tells us that if we just look hard enough, we're going to find out the truth of the matter of whatever it is that seems baffling to begin with is something that's easily explainable in, in a material way. Even when we talk about substance, you know, when we talk about, oh, there's a foreign substance over there, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, a material, a thing that can be tested and seen. And so when we hear uh, in the conversation about the Eucharist that the substance of bread and wine are changed— into the body, blood, soul, and divinity, even the word substance, we're thinking of in a very materialistic kind of way. 
But the language of the church is the language of philosophy. And when the language of the church talks about the substance, they're talking about the thing that makes a thing a thing. By that I mean, if you look over in the corner and you see a wooden chair, the wooden doesn't make the chair the chair. The wooden is what the chair is made out of. And that could be a chair just as much if it were made out of concrete, just as much if it had uh, five spokes and a, and a single pole instead of four legs, right? There's all kinds of things about the chair that have absolutely no bearing on whether the chair is a chair. And so those things are not the substance of the chair because they don't make it what it is. What makes a chair a chair is something intangible. It's something in the form of it. And so we can say, well, that chair is concrete, that chair is wooden, that chair is metal, and all of those other things are just accidental properties. They're, they have no bearing on the, what I'm going to call the isness of the thing. And so, so too, when we talk about the Eucharist, when we say the bread and the wine are changed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, we're not talking about the thing that it's made of. We're not talking about uh, the taste or the smell or the physical properties in any way. Rather, we're talking about the isness, the substance, the thing that makes the thing the thing. Just like a dollar bill is paper and ink, and a post it note can be paper and ink. And yet we treat the dollar bill differently because it is now made of paper and ink, but is no longer merely that. Now it has the value to transmit all that it represents. It is a powerful symbol, an efficacious symbol. And so in that way, uh, every, every analogy breaks down. But in that same way, regardless of what the Eucharist is now made of, it is something infinitely more valuable. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And people say, well, you know what? Jesus was a man and he was walking around and I know that that bread and wine cannot be Jesus because that's just absolutely ludicrous. You're absolutely right. It is ludicrous. It's also ludicrous, this belief that we have that Jesus is the single utterance of God, the word of God made flesh, that the divine person himself came and took on flesh and took on our nature to be our redemption. And so too, he continues to be our redemption as he takes on and changes the nature of the bread and wine into something far more valuable, into himself, which he transmits to us. Now, we're going to be talking about this from this point on, saying how do we deal with this uh, this topic? How do we look at this, this conundrum that Pew has brought to us? And we're going to be exploring that in depth. I also want to point you back to our archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You're going to find a conversation on the Eucharist with Dr. Lawrence Feingold that we had back last May 2018. You're going to want to take a look at that, but not just yet, because coming right up, we have a conversation with Katie Prejean McGrady about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking with our friend again today, Katie Prejean McGrady. Uh, she's an author for Ave Maria. She's written lots of wonderful books that we've talked about here before, but she also now is the project manager for Ave Explores, which is a project we'll talk about here in just a moment. Katie, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to you. There's the, uh, everyone has probably seen it by now if they're on social media of any sort that has a uh, Catholic ties, you know, Catholic Twitter or Catholic Facebook or whatever else. Uh, the, the Pew research that came out with this survey that said only one third of U.S. Catholics agree with their church that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And there's a whole, a whole bunch of stats that go into that. Um, but you've got some ideas about it, and I've got some ideas about it, and I'm sure that it, uh, those listening at home have some ideas about it. So let's kind of break it down. You saw this. What was the first thing that came across your mind? So my first question was, I think if I were to walk, my first reaction was, if I were to walk into my church parish on Sunday morning, with, you know, the good old boys and girls of Southwest Louisiana and say, hey, can you define transubstantiation for me? Like most people would be like, no. But if I were to then say, is that Jesus up there? They would say, yeah. So I, I feel like maybe the question was asked in a, and I, I'm not trying to knock the research that was done because Pew is a very reputable source, but I, I wonder if maybe the question wasn't phrased the best yeah. in order to get truly accurate results according to Catholic theology, if that makes sense. Right. Well, and I do, um, I do wonder if, if Pew themselves even understands what we mean when we say, and I think probably to me that the, the key right. word that people misunderstand is become. What do we mean when we say mm -hmm. it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity? And of course, they didn't even go that far. Um, and so... Uh, of course, you've got some, maybe some misunderstanding from Pew themselves. You've got some misunderstanding from the people in the Pew uh, who, who they look at it and they say, well, yes, it's symbol. It, it, there's, I, I could see that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it is, the church would say it is a symbol. They just say that it's an efficacious one. It's one that is, is uh, more than what we typically associate with that word. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's like a stop sign tells you to stop. Mm -hmm. right? That's what the stop sign tells you to do. So it's a symbol that communicates something. Well, this is a symbol that doesn't just communicate something, but that is something, right? This is Jesus Christ. And the, the part of the the statistic that I, it bothered me, I, I don't think I was as angry as maybe Bishop Barron was, was that like one in five Catholics, it says this in the report, one in five Catholics, 22% reject the idea of transubstantiation, even though they know it's the church's teaching. And it's like, okay, so yeah, there's cafeteria Catholics that we all know and that many of us love and many of us are accompanying, if we're going to use that buzzword. But like, I don't even know if that sentence it, it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Rejecting the idea of something that is what the church teaches is just choosing to not believe the central tenet of Catholicism. So can we call them Catholic? Mm -hmm. Like, I would, I would go so far as to say I, they don't even necessarily probably consider themselves in communion at that point. And we'd have to talk to all those different people. I just, I feel like it was a little clickbaity. Yeah. Like it was a little, Hey, look at you Catholics. Y'all aren't doing a very good job. Just a third of you believe that the Eucharist is Jesus. And it's like, but that's, that's not what it says. The, the statistics say in the report that 63% who go to mass on Sunday, accept the church's teachings. Well, 63% is more than half. Right. That's not just a third. 
So you're saying the entire body of believers, not the ones that attend mass on Sunday, but the entire body of believers, well, if they're not coming to mass on Sunday, well, we know why they're not coming to mass on Sunday because they don't believe this. Yeah. So I just feel like it wasn't fully representative of American Catholicism today. Well, so whenever something like this comes out, there's always this rush to point fingers and to say, well, this is because of all of the, the poor catechesis that we had for so mm-hmm. long. And, and while that's certainly true that there was a systemic failure in, in our catechesis adapting with the culture, um, there's something more to it than this. Uh, there is mm-hmm. a cultural catechesis that's gone on that's moved us, I think, as a society towards this um, empiricism, right? Everything has to be shown in an empirical way. I, I, I blame Star Trek and Scooby-Doo for this, right? That everything is explainable— and there's no mystery. And if you just dig hard enough and long enough, you're going to find somebody behind the scenes pulling the strings to try and pull the wool over your eyes, right? So there's this idea when we see that the, the, the Catholics believe that the bread and wine become the body blood of Jesus Christ, um, we think of it in a very empirical kind of way of, well, I'm going to put this under a microscope and I can obviously tell that this is not flesh and not blood with the exception of Eucharistic miracles. Uh, mm-hmm. The truth is that every mass is a Eucharistic miracle. It just manifests in a way that is not empirical. Right. And all of that language and all of that theology and all of that teaching, which you and I who have studied this and this is our job, we know that. Mm-hmm. How do we communicate that? How do we translate that to a an average everyday Catholic. And I'm not saying we're above average. I'm, I'm very much an average everyday Catholic. How do we articulate that to them in a, in a digestible way? Uh, Cause you and I both know that the second a person is confirmed, we kind of lose them for a little while until they come back to get married right. or have a baby baptized in the church. And so there's, there's a, there's, there's an error of catechesis. There's an error of messaging. There's an error of translation. I, I, I think, what Pew wanted to shove into the face of Catholics was y'all are failing. <laughs> and a lot of Catholics took the bait and were like, yes, we are. And here's the immediate fix. And I actually read it all the way through and thought, huh, this isn't accurate. This isn't, this doesn't reflect my knowledge of Catholics that I've met across the country. And I think that this is worth a conversation. Well, and you have met Catholics all across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you mentioned something there that we lose them a little bit after confirmation and then we get them back around marriage. And that's that's historically been the case, but we're watching the numbers now. And even that, because our society is moving away from the concept of marriage, uh, even mm-hmm. there, we don't necessarily get them back. And I think we all know someone who, who grew up in the church, maybe they were catechized in the church, uh, went all the way through um, you know, RE and confirmation and maybe even Catholic uh, higher education. And then somewhere along the lines, even after all that, they left. They left either to become a Protestant because they uh, found something there that they didn't find here, or they mm-hmm. leave it to become a skeptic. And so on Twitter, because you are a prolific tweeter, which I appreciate, <laughs> uh, you you bring up, you know, this is not something that we can go and just fix with catechesis. Mm-hmm. There's something else that needs to happen, and you proposed a very specific solution that I want to uh, I want you to invite this listening audience to join your your Twitter followers as well. Yeah, so one of the the great privileges of my life is getting to travel 120,000 miles a year 
across the United States, Canada, Europe, going to Australia in December, and almost at every event I go to. And this has just kind of become the standard bearer at most youth ministry events. It's becoming more common at young adult and, and adult events, even things like faculty retreat days. Eucharistic adoration has become a huge part of these events, and the evidence shows that it, it deeply moves hearts and minds. The, the, every year the USCCB uh, publishes the stats of like the, uh, the recent ordination class. And one of the most recent stats was that of this past class of the 2019 ordinandis, have, whatever that word is, the new priests, 75% said that Eucharistic adoration played a role in their vocational discernment. So there's great fruit born in sitting in front of Jesus. And if, if we're teaching young people, we're teaching old people, we're teaching people, hey, we wouldn't sit in front of this if it was just a symbol. We wouldn't sit in front of this if it was just a piece of bread. Obviously, this is Jesus Christ who wants to have this intimate moment with you, and we want to challenge you to have this intimate moment with him. That Obviously, there's education that needs to be involved in that, and there's catechesis, but that's also teaching people how to pray, mm-hmm. and that's giving people space and place to pray and, and inviting them into a conversation with God and not just a, I have a laundry list of demands. I have all these woes that I need to tell him, but, but worship and praise and, and true adoration of your God. And I'm not God. And I want to sit in your presence and recognize that you're God. And, and so my solution to, okay, well, if a third of people believe that it's true and the rest of them don't, how do we invite the rest of them and I'm using air quotes, the rest of them to believe, well, I think we give them the opportunity to, to actually sit in front of Jesus rather than talk their heads off about that it is Jesus mm-hmm. and let Jesus do his job, right? Like let the Holy Spirit actually work within their lives. You know, th- we, we think of the, the idea of, okay, let's, I'm going to talk to you about Eucharistic adoration. I'm going to tell you all the reasons to do it. Uh, and you here are the here are the things that you can do. Here are the books that you can read, or the prayers you can pray, and and really, even sitting in the silence, completely awkwardly, thinking, "I'm not doing mm-hmm. this right. How am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do?" That moment of of uncertainty and and of dependence is a powerful moment, and I know more than one person who uh, they were not Catholic and somehow ended up in a chapel with the Eucharist. And one mm-hmm. friend in specific, she walked in and she said she felt such peace that her first thought was, oh crap, now I have to deal with this. <laughs> right. Now I have to actually confront, maybe that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I think, and I've, I've experienced this. I used to be this, the kind of person that thought we have answers for all of this and there's a solution for every problem. And there's a way to programmatically plan and organize how to get people back to church. And I really think it starts with, with, and we've had this conversation on this program before, it starts with authentic invitation, it starts with consistent intentional relationships, and then it's us getting out of the way and, and letting Jesus work. And I know that might sound like a simple solution, and maybe that sounds like I'm, I'm just, I'm poo-pooing this data, but I really, I, I, I am comforted by the fact that 63% that go to Mass on Sunday believe that it's truly Jesus. What would it look like if those 63% went and found the other people that have rejected it or that have left and that have walked away and, and give witness to that joy and tell them this is this is what Christ has done in my life and share with them this is how I pray and this is what Mass does for me and my family every single weekend. I think that's going to be far more fruitful than we just need to beef up our apologetics courses with all these youngins. 
Like, I, I just, I really don't know that that's going to, that's going to work. I just don't think it would. Well, the other thing is give your children rather than merely the education, give them the formation, go with mm-hmm. them. You know, we, we had a, a family um, holy hour and it was great because mm-hmm. we, we picked an hour where there was not going to be anyone else in there. So it was okay if the kids made a little bit of noise. Absolutely. And we sat down, we gave them some spiritual reading. And if they said, I don't know what to do, we said, well, just be quiet and tell Jesus what is on your heart. And th- that whole uh, Alfonso Liguori, whose feast day we just celebrated, has this short little book called How to Converse Continually and Familiarly with God. And, mm-hmm. it, and it is just sitting in a room and pouring out whatever random things come in your head and offering those with all our, um, our, our ADD, offering mm-hmm. those to God as a gift to him, saying, I'm going to give you my thoughts and myself uh, and then I'm going to listen for what it is that you have to say. Right. I, parents really have to be the, the first ones that teach this to their children. I mean, we, you, we, you and I both know that, that they're the, they're the first line of defense against disaffiliation. And so I think rather than just talking about the theology or even articulating the language, it's a show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, a, that's a key element of this. We're talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady, talking about this new Pew Research data about the Eucharist and transubstantiation. Tell me on Twitter. Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Come and tell me what your experience in Eucharistic adoration is and how it's made a difference in your life. Go ahead and tag Katie as well at Katie Prejean. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking today about the Eucharist, about transubstantiation, and uh, whether we Catholics really believe it or not. Pew Research has uh, come out with some new data that that questions that, and we're talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady to explore that a little bit further. And we were talking just before the break about the importance of Eucharistic adoration and how just merely not, not even so much teaching and saying all of the things about the Eucharist and teaching the, the philosophy behind it, which is important, but mm-hmm. actually sitting people down and letting the experience of Jesus be the teacher to sit down in Eucharistic adoration. Uh, and as the psalmist says, to calm and quiet our soul, right? Uh, to be there in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. That's going to be more profound than any any treatise you could do, any uh, any amount of philosophy you could teach, because there's something very real about what you experience that you you have to say, okay, um, I might not be able to explain it, I might not be able to uh, put it under a microscope and see it, but that was a real encounter. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I want you you mentioned the idea of of people experiencing that as a way to help them believe it. But I think one of the other things that is so important is that the rest of us in air quotes, as you put them before, um, (laughs) the, the, the rest of us ought to be there in Eucharistic adoration specifically for those who have trouble believing Mm -hmm. that they might be able to say, I believe Lord help my unbelief. Right. That's, that's the first step. You, 
on Twitter, you talked about this path that you, uh, that you're going to be walking in these next few weeks, uh, in response to this. And you mm-hmm. invited some other people to go along with you. Talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So actually right before I left for my most recent trip, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with a faculty retreat, um, on Wednesday. And as I was packing my backpack, this little book that I bought earlier in the summer when I was up at St. Meinrad, Indiana for an event um, up at the monastery there, this, this little book from Jacques Philippe, and I, I've read everything this man's ever written, um, and I'd never seen this one before. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a Jacques Philippe book that I don't have? And so I grabbed it off the shelf. He's a, a French, uh, he's a member of the, um, the community of the Beatitudes in France, founded in the 70s, um, a, just a prolific writer and preacher and spiritual director. Um, his books, I read them in college because they're all published through Scepter Publishing. Um, and, and so we had an Opus Day Center not far from campus. And, and Scepter is a, a ministry of Opus Day. So they published his books, Time for God and the School of the Holy Spirit. So I grabbed this book entitled Nine Days to Re- Rediscover the Joy of Prayer. I was like, yeah, I need that book. I mean, when Jesus is your job, sometimes you just you need to rediscover that joy of prayer. So I grabbed it. And I opened it up and I realized it was not a traditional Jacques Philippe book and that it's like, oh, I can read a chapter, but it's nine days of intentional meditation. So one for the morning, one for the evening. And he says in his little introduction, this is for people who have little time, but wish to devote 10 minutes today, a day to spiritual growth. And it can be, it can happen in your home. It can happen on vacation, in the subway or on the train. And I was like, oh, this is perfect, right? So I I grab it. I put it on my shelf. I tell myself when I have nine straight days, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Well, I haven't really had nine straight days where I haven't been traveling in between. And obviously, like, I could throw this in my backpack and bring it along, but I didn't want to shortchange it. So it just kind of sat on my nightstand. I snapped a photo of it before I left because I wanted to mention it to the faculty that I was speaking to on Wednesday. And I didn't want to forget the name of the book and I didn't want to bring it with me because I didn't want to lose it. Long story short, I'm sitting in the Milwaukee airport this morning. It's not really a short story anymore. <laughs> and I think to myself, as I'm reading all these articles about the Pew Research, as I'm listening to the Bishop Barron video, as I'm, I'm just looking at other people's hot takes all across Twitter, I was like, this, this solution's right in front of us. We should be praying more and we should be inviting people into prayer and we should be challenging them to put themselves in front of Jesus to ask him, how should we respond to this? And how can I help people's unbelief by giving witness? And that book popped back up in my head. And I said, here's the solution. We're going to do this together. I shared the link for it on Amazon. The next thing I know, people are like, yeah, I want to do this with you too. And so here we go. We're going to start next Thursday. We're going to go for nine days up to August the 23rd, which is the feast day of St. Rose of Lima, who's my daughter's feast day. So it worked out perfectly. We'll go Assumption to St. Rose of Lima. It's 10 minutes a day, folks. And it's it's an opportunity for this community globally uh, we've got some folks in Australia and New Zealand that, that said they wanted to do it as well to just read together and to pray together and to renew our own hearts in an attempt to respond to those believers who have strayed and, and to our brothers and sisters who maybe don't understand and to invite them to understand and to also try to understand more ourselves. Mm-hmm. Very long drawn out way of saying, go buy the book and let's read it together starting next Thursday. <laughs> Now, if you're going to read it together, you need to follow her on Twitter. That's Katie Prejean. Yes. That's P-R-E-J-E-A-N, Katie Prejean. Follow her on Twitter to get all the hot takes and 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 <laughs> other. You also had a, a discussion, a link to a discussion group as well. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. So tomorrow I'm going to tweet out the Slack group. So I'm a big fan of Slack. It's kind of a, it's a messaging program. I use it for a bunch of different 
a bunch of different groups that I have with, with different people. Um, and so it'll be just a more pointed way rather than like a direct message or a Facebook group to just be able to chat back and forth with people you've probably never met before and you'll probably never meet in person. But it's an opportunity to just join in this intentional community. And it's it's not going to be it's not going to be this an hour of your day we're asking. It's 10 minutes. I mean, Father Jacques is going to lead us through this. And, and there's also a Kindle version of the book available and an audio book. So if you're not a person that wants a physical copy in your backpack or in your purse, you can find it in a variety of different forms to kind of do this retreat together. Mm -hmm. Now, just so that people know, because we've been talking about the answer to this is prayer, both inviting Mm -hmm. others into prayer and specifically praying for them ourselves. And you said the answer is not in uh, in just beefing up our, our catechetics and in beefing up our apologetics. Uh, and yet you're not opposed to those things. In fact, you're the, the brand new project manager for a program with Ave Maria Press called Ave Explores. Uh, mm-hmm. And right now you're going through Ave Explores Mary, but there are other topics coming up. Talk a little bit about the impetus for this program and what someone could expect from it. Yeah, so so part of the, the dream and vision of Ave Explores is to provide really great resources for Catholics to live their faith in the everyday. Uh, That's kind of the tagline, Ave Explorers, Faith in the Everyday. And what we want to do is just create really excellent, high-quality resources for Catholics to learn and to grow and to pray and to just expand their understanding of what it means to be faithful in 2019, what it means to be faithful as a mom, as a dad, as a single person, as as a professional, as somebody who maybe used to work for the church and now doesn't, as somebody who maybe wants to work for the church, as just somebody who goes to Mass on Sunday and that's the extent of what you do. You're a Sunday Mass going Catholic who has a crucifix in their home, who prays on a regular basis, but like you don't maybe feel quote unquote special enough to do anything more, but you want to go deeper. And there's so much out there. There's so many resources. There's so many programs. There's so many things behind a paywall. Obviously now we're doing this nine days to rediscover the joy of prayer. So here's another thing that we're throwing on your plate. But what Avi Explorers wants to do is just take a topic and look at it from a bunch of different angles and provide really great resources. And here's the really cool part of it. It's all free. Everything is going to be completely and totally given out through email and through the social media programs that, that Ave has. And we've got some incredible contributors that are going to be writing the different articles and doing the different podcasts and some of the video content that we have. These are people that have signed on to do this, that you know their names, you know these people, J.D. Flynn and Mary Lindenberg and Claire Swinarski and Father Mike Schmitz and different people who who were just saying, hey, we want five to 600 words and we want you to write about Mary and the family. We want uh, 750 words about the Hispanic experience with Our Lady. And, and just give these really great contributors a platform to talk about something that maybe stirs their heart and then share that and disseminate that through this Ave Explorers platform. Um, Ave Maria Press is one of the oldest Catholic publishers in the country. They were founded by the Holy Cross uh, Ministries, by the fathers. Um, and the dream and the goal of this isn't to make money. Uh, the goal of this is not to secretly sell you a bunch of books. Uh, we're not trying to get your email because we want to make sure that we have you in our database. We just want to do really excellent stuff for the everyday Catholic. And that's all of us. We're all everyday Catholics. And so this first topic we're exploring is Mary. We've got a topic set up for uh, late December, early January on mental health. Uh, we're going to do an entire series on Catholic social teaching. And what does the church actually teach about some of these relevant issues that are being debated ad nauseum uh, in different areas? This summer, I'm really excited. Next summer, we're going to be doing one on 
basically how to take a Catholic pilgrimage and vacation as a family and highlight a bunch of different shrines and stops that you can visit all across the country. Um, but we're starting with Mary because Ave Maria Press, so obviously we need to pay homage <laughs> to her mom. But also because, you know, Mary should be this example and this model and this guide, and, and, and she should be somebody that's at the forefront of our heart and of our mind and living the faith. I mean, Mary was the first tabernacle, so I, I feel like this fits perfectly with all this Pew research that we're seeing. If we understand Mary, we understand Jesus. And if we are close to Mary, we become close to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so folks can sign up for free for all of these resources and uh, stuff will be rolling out in early October with all of the, that, that great content that we talked about. You can find that again at AveMariaPress.com slash AveExplorers hyphen Mary hyphen sign up. And if that's too much to remember, don't worry about it. I'm going to put it up on my social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. So you can get to that, sign up for it and get that content. Now, uh, if your inbox is like mine, um, it's it's hard. <laughs> There's so much stuff that comes through. Um, so, what is it that you know? How long does this take? How what how, what what is this going to be for the the end user uh, to be able to get and and appropriate mm-hmm. and then use this in their life? So we're talking a five minute email download, right? Like it'll have three articles every week with a video or a podcast that obviously you can watch or listen to on your own time. And then at the end of the series, so we'll be doing each series for about five weeks. We'll get this email once a week. That's got all that week's content, but we'll send out a kind of a final resource pack to where maybe if you miss something along, or if there's an article that you want to read again, or you want to share, um, that'll just be there ready at your fingertips. And then of course, everything is going to be backlogged on the website. So right. sign up for the email. And again, my email inbox right now is horrific and I'm embarrassed by it. And there's <laughs> plenty of people waiting, waiting for responses from me about very important things. Um, obviously one more email, you, you might think to yourself, I don't need anything else in there, but this, this one's not asking you to do anything. It's, it's trying to give you something and right. it's trying to invite you into, into the consumption of really great Catholic content. And also, Everything will be shared on the social media platforms. So right. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Ave will be sharing all this stuff as well. So you're, whether you want to see it or not, you're going to see it, folks. But you can <laughs> sign up for it on your own terms, and you can consume that content. And, and we also have plans to do some resources for catechists and educators with, to take some of these articles and take some of these videos and use it with teenagers and young adults. Um, I'm really, really excited. We have a podcast interview coming out with, and I'm not going to completely ruin it, but we We've got a really, really cool podcast interview um, about different Marian devotions that that's almost quiz show style. Um, so that'll just be a lot of fun to listen to in the car with your family. Um, and then we've got we've got some really cool video content that'll be coming along with it as well. And let's be honest. I mean, we've all got our, our subscription, whether it be to Amazon Prime or to, uh, mm-hmm. to Hulu or to Netflix. And we're consuming so much content all the time. And, and it's worth mm-hmm. it to take a, to take a step back and say, how am I feeding my spirit and how am I feeding my children's faith life and to take these five mm-hmm. minutes or whatever it takes to, to put a little bit of that into our spiritual diet as well. Amen. We've been talking today with Katie Prejean McGrady. She's the new project manager for Ave Explorers at Ave Maria Press. You can follow her and I encourage you to do so on Twitter at Katie Prejean. That's P-R-E-J-E-A-N. There's more to my conversation with Katie available to all of those who support the show on Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right corner and find out how you can get access to it. 
Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. But there's much more to come as we explore the Eucharist right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Tia. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. This week, we've been talking about that recent Pew Research Center study, that survey that suggested that a large number of U.S. Catholics do not believe in the church teaching on transubstantiation, that the bread and the wine, through the prayer of the priest and the power of the Holy Spirit, become the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been discussing that topic today, exploring it with Katie Prejean McGrady, who is a, an author, a speaker, just all-around brilliant woman. Uh, she's got a number of books available on Ave Maria Press and recently has become the project manager for their program called Ave Explores. You can find out more information at AveMariaPress.com. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends on social media, which I highly encourage you to do, uh, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived. Just go over to OutsideTheWalls.com uh, and peruse. If you want to catch some of Katie's other episodes, you just go on the right-hand side of the page. There's a list of the names of everyone who's ever appeared on the show. Uh, you, you scroll down till you find her name, click on it, and it'll bring up all the episodes that she's been a part of. Now, as always, I love I just love sitting down with the guests, and we, we always go longer than we have the time to put on the air. And so uh, we have more of this conversation with Katie available uh, to all those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, we've got a, a great network of people who love the show. They love listening week after week, and they want to make sure that we're able to keep doing this in perpetuity. And so for as little as $5 a month, they become part of this network that supports us. And in gratitude, we give them all kinds of extras and goodies, uh, depending on what level they come in at support. So if you're interested in getting more Go, going deeper into the topic. I'm going to encourage you to go over right while you're there on the page, outsidethewalls.com. In the top right-hand corner of the page, there is something that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and it will give you all of the information you need. There are some segments there that are already available for free. You don't have to be a supporter. You can go through and listen to deeper dives on older topics with some of our older guests. Uh, I encourage you to go take a look at that today. But for now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. The reading from Scripture today could be nothing else but John 6. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. These things he said while teaching at the synagogue at Capernaum. Then many of his disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about him, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the ones who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. That reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And we've talked about this reading before on the show. We've done a whole episode breaking down all of the nuances of, of specifically what is being said and why Jesus is saying it. But today I want to focus on those who are hearing. We have two audiences here. We've got the disciples. All of them are disciples. And then we have the 12 who would later become the apostles. And they're approaching this from a very different place. Uh, one group of people, they're following Jesus because Jesus is intriguing to them. He's saying the things uh, that agree with their worldview. And so they they want more of him and they follow him around and they listen to the things that he says because uh, he is giving them, in some sense, hope and, in another sense, confirmation bias. He is a, He's telling them uh, what it is that they already want to hear for the most part. Or he says things that are intriguing to them, and so they follow him around until he says something that they can't wrap their heads around, something that doesn't mesh with their own beliefs from what they came from before, the thing, the way that they understood the world before, and all of a sudden, that was a bridge too far. They couldn't go past that. And so then he turns to the apostles, and he says to them, are you going to leave like everyone else? And they're coming from a different place. Their starting point is different because their starting point is outside themselves. They believe, Peter says, and are convinced that he is the Holy One of God. And if he is from God, which they're convinced he is, then the things that he says are coming from God, and they have to submit to those. They have to wrap their head around it, even if they don't understand it, even if they are just as confused as everyone else. They have to say, you know what? Uh, this does not make sense to my whole worldview. I cannot figure this out, but I believe and I'm convinced that you are the Holy One of God and therefore that you have the words of eternal life and there is nowhere else to go. I had to do this when I came into Catholicism. Uh, there was a point where I still did not believe all of the tenets of the church. I did not understand the Marian doctrines. There were a number of other things that I was just uneasy about, but I became convinced and I believed that the church was established by Jesus Christ and that she was the church that bore the authority, that was given the authority by Jesus Christ to continue the mission in this world. And, and so therefore, I had to come to the place where I said, 
I don't get this. I don't understand this, but to whom shall I go? Our reading from church history today comes from St. Ambrose of Milan. We see that grace can accomplish more than nature. Yet we have been considering instances of what grace can do through a prophet's blessing. If the blessing of a human being had power even to change nature, what do we say of God's action and the consecration itself, in which the words of the Lord and Savior are effective? If the words of Elijah had the power even to bring down fire from heaven, will not the words of Christ have power to change the natures of the elements? You have read that in the creation of the words of Christ have power to change the natures of elements. You have read that in the creation of the whole world he spoke, and they came to be. He commanded, and they were created. If Christ could by speaking create out of nothing what did not yet exist, can we say that his words are unable to change existing things into something they previously were not? It is no lesser feat to create new natures for things than to change their existing natures. What need is there for argumentation? Let us take what happened in the case of Christ himself and construct the truth of this mystery from the mystery of the Incarnation. Did the birth of the Lord Jesus from Mary come about in the course of nature? If we look at nature, we regularly find that conception results from the union of man and woman. It is clear then that conception by the Virgin was above and beyond the course of nature. And this body that we make present is the body born of the Virgin. Why do you expect to find in this case that nature takes its ordinary course regarding the body of Christ when the Lord himself was born of the Virgin in a manner above and beyond the order of nature? This is indeed the true flesh of Christ, which was crucified and buried. This is then in truth the sacrament of his flesh. The Lord Jesus himself declares, This is my body. Before the blessing contained in these words, a different thing is named. After the consecration, a body is indicated. He himself speaks of his blood. Before the consecration, something else is spoken of. After the consecration, blood is designated, and you say, Amen, that is, it is true. What the mouth utters, let the mind within acknowledge. What the word says, let the heart ratify. So the church, in response to grace so great, exhorts her children, exhorts her neighbors to hasten to these mysteries. Neighbors, she says, come and eat, brethren, drink and be filled. In another passage, the Holy Spirit has made clear to you what you are to eat, what you are to drink. Taste, the prophet says, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. Christ is in that sacrament, for it is the body of Christ. It is therefore not bodily food, but spiritual. Thus, the apostle too says, speaking of its symbol, our fathers ate spiritual food and drank spiritual drink, for the body of God is spiritual. The body of Christ is that of a divine spirit, for Christ is a spirit. We read, The spirit before our face is Christ the Lord. And in the letter of St. Peter we have this, Christ died for you. Finally, it is this food that gives strength to our hearts, this drink which gives joy to the heart of man, as the prophet has written. 
That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top corner and join their numbers. Join us on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls for more goodies about this week. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.